1: Monday Monday to Friday. Friday, nine AM to twelve PM. This is
0: today on Cape Talk. It is twenty-five to ten. You're listening to today. I'm Kino Cummies. And as always, my sidekick on a Friday is Dr. Chris Smith, the naked scientist who, by the way, does wear all these
1: clothes. Well you wouldn't know, would you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well they don't say perfect face (laughs) for radio for nothing. In your case. you, You okay?
0: I'm uh, perfectly, perfectly fine, actually. It's been it's a lovely balmy day today, 30 degrees Celsius.
1: Yeah, it's um, it's nought this morning here, because obviously it's it's just sun up, because obviously we're a little bit, of, bit behind on the time, but um, freezing today, really, really cold. Oh, my word. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my lots, word. It's beautiful. I mean, the, the, you, when, when you have these clear skies first thing in the mornings in winter, at this time of year with the sun very low on the horizon, you get this amazing orangey red sky it's a really vivid sky because obviously as, as we go into winter the the light is having to come through much greater distances of atmosphere and it scatters more so you get this incredible color it's a photographer's dream basically it's absolutely amazing so that's one of the things to look forward to at this time of year you get up and it's naught degrees but the sky looks yeah. awesome <laughs>
0: <laughs> you obviously—I mean, it was, it was about twelve levels of clothing. Uh, you can venture out. It's not—it's not, it's not the weather for being
1: naked. In. Put it that way.
0: <laughs> no, for sure, absolutely. So, Dr. Christmas, the naked scientist, as always, he is my co-presenter on the show between now and ten o'clock. So, if you've got any questions for him about everyday life, you know what to do. Just pull in, man. Just give us a call on zero two one double four six zero five six seven and WhatsApp on zero seven two five six seven. One, five, six, seven. So here goes our first question. Um, Hi, guys. Why is it that when I've handled something metallic, I can sometimes taste it in my mouth?
1: And that's from Brian. I've heard other people say this. I'm not sure you're actually tasting through your fingers. Put it that way, um, mm. but but it may well be that you have inadvertently touched your mouth or touched something which has then got the got whatever was the residue on the metal into your mouth. People have have definitely done that. I don't think there's there's any obvious way that you would taste through your fingers though. That said, some drugs. Do You you experience funny tastes when you take certain drugs, for instance, certain anaesthetic or or labelling compounds they inject into the bloodstream to image different bits of the body can produce the sensation of funny tastes and flavours. So one other possibility is that this is some kind of, of strange placebo effect where you reach out and touch something and in the same way that drugs can activate different parts of the nervous system when you reach out and touch something you expect to have a certain sensation and then it's a self-fulfilling prophecy it's actually not really happening but you think it is so i suppose it's that's a possibility i'm not aware of any other explanation i will take that away as a bit of micro homework and have a look but it's it's not something perfect. that i've come across before
0: perfect and another question here. Um, hi, Keno and Chris. Uh, what is the best liver detox remedy? Um,
1: yeah. And so, so what's essentially what is good for your liver? The liver is one of your biggest organs. It's not the biggest organ, but it's one of them. And, and it, it weighs about a kilo. And the role of the liver is to see all of the things that you eat in the bloodstream before they get to the rest of your body and then to pull out of that anything that needs to be dealt with so that you don't poison the rest of yourself. But at the same time, anything that's going around the body is also fed into the liver for cleaning up along the way. So the liver is an amazing chemical factory which can... Pull out of circulation things that, uh, if they built up, would be bad, and then either break them down or link them up to other molecules and make them soluble so you can pee them out, or chuck them away down your intestine because the waste pipe for the liver is the bile it makes to help you emulsify fats and absorb them. But in the process, you can dump out some of the excess stuff you don't want that way too, and. The liver does this job amazingly for, in the average person's case, 70 or 80 years. It doesn't need any special intervention. It just needs a bit of TLC and looking after. That TLC or looking after basically means feeding it a healthy diet. Things that the liver doesn't like are drugs that the liver breaks down in too greater quantities. So drugs like paracetamol, minimise your use of those, only use those sorts of things when you have to. That's obvious. And never, never, never overdose on them. The, the biggest poison for the liver, though, is actually booze. And responsible drinking is the best way to look after your liver because alcohol is broken down in the liver and therefore the liver bears the brunt of, of the chemical insult of dealing with alcohol. And so if you overdo it too often, you deplete the reserves of the liver to fend off the toxic insult and it slowly accumulates damage. So the best thing to do is just drink responsibly, enjoy a drink, but don't do it day after day after day and don't drink to drunkenness. Too often.
0: Uh, Shabadin and Ottery, good morning. Morning, Kino. Morning, Chris. Morning. Morning. We gave uh, gave a serious stutterer, Chris, uh, a set of headphones, uh, played some loud music through it, and he read fluently without stuttering at all. What could the reason be? Wow. So you played music through headphones and a stutterer read fluently.
1: Yeah, we don't know exactly why people stammer and stutter. But what we do believe is that in people for whom this is more of a problem, because we all do it a bit, everyone occasionally has a stuttering moment. But for people for whom it's more of a problem, we suspect that there's some kind of increased feedback in the brain between the ears and the speech you're producing. And the thing to bear in mind is that we are continuously monitoring what we're saying, but we're monitoring it internally. But if you pay too much attention to what's being fed in from the outside, because there's a delay between what you've thought about saying, the movements you make to say it, then the sound coming round, going in your ears, being fed back into your brain, and that delay may be half a second. If you monitor what you're saying at the same rate as you're trying to say it, then your brain says, hang on, it's not right and then tries to correct it, triggering a stammer, so you fall over your words. If you can block out that monitoring that's going on, then the person stops letting that interrupt the flow of speech, and they're fluent. Now, everyone can be provoked into having halting, faltering, stuttering speech delivery, and as Kino knows, if someone fiddles with his headphones and puts about a half a second delay on him hearing his own voice, he will stop being this brilliantly silver tongued speaker and he'll be all over the place have you had this happen to you kino when accidentally someone presses the wrong button and you get the output from the transmitter instead of off the desk so you're hearing yourself with half a second delay you cannot speak and you know and, and you know when i do bits of television from time to time sometimes someone will accidentally leave open the talkback circuit from where they are in the gallery in the broadcast studio and what you're getting is yourself going to them via a satellite which is thirty six thousand kilometers above the earth, back down to them, and then it comes out of their speaker in the gallery, into their local microphone they're talking you to you with, back up to a satellite, thirty six thousand kilometers above the earth, back down to you, thirty six kilometres below, thousand kilometers below, and that takes a huge amount of time injecting your speech back into your brain at totally the wrong time. And you go all over the place and there's nothing you can do about it. I think that's partly what's going on with people who who stutter a lot. I think that there's something about that circuit that's giving auditory feedback to you from the speech that you anticipate producing. And then you're comparing that with what you are producing, but it's taking too much prominence and it's causing you to then go wrong. And if you block out that sound so the person is unable to self-monitor and self-censor, then they just speak naturally. And, And actually getting over a bad stutter or bad stammer for some people is all about the confidence to just control breathing, speak fluently and zone out so you don't pay attention to what you've just said because that will come back and bite you and you just concentrate on making sure that what you say comes out fluently. And it's a confidence thing and when you don't when you, when you can de-stress because it's the stress that tends to also exacerbate this, you tend yep. to find that the people speak nicely after that don't have a problem.
0: There we go. I wonder if it's the same. I don't want to go down the rabbit hole, but I wonder if it's the same for ADD because um, I have that. But I find I can concentrate a lot better if I have headphones on, listen to music. I can actually do work. That's very interesting, isn't
1: it? Because if you think, Mm. you know, most people with with ADHD type things will say that they get very distracted and Mm. anything can hijack their attention. And I was asking a psychologist about this and they said, what we wonder with adhd whether the the reason that people who have that tend to continuously be craving distraction or jiggling around i don't know if you do the other thing with sort of moving your legs around a lot or moving a lot yep Um, the part of the brain that's concerned with making parts of your body move is quite close to the part of the brain that's concerned with focus and attention so one theory is that by Being a bit hyperactive and by moving around a lot, you're facilitating, helping to increase the activity in the part of the brain that that actually enables you to focus on things. And so it may be that uh, part of that jiggling around helps you to stay focused. Mm. And, And part of the putting music in means that you don't then tend to jump or leap attentionally, onto other things because you focus on that while also doing the thing you're wanting to do and it stops you getting so distracted. I mean, that's just just one theory, but it sounds plausible to me.
0: Certainly does to me. Let's go to Gavin in to Hi, Gavin. Good morning. Good morning, keynote. Good morning, Chris. I feel like uh, stuttering after listening to that. (laughs) I've, I've just got a question. I want to find out why the sun appears to rise south of due east here in Cape Town um, during the summer season. One would think that because we're south of the Tropic of Capricorn, it would always be north of true east.
1: I'm going to have a think about that because I don't want to just um, trip off the tongue and say, oh, I think it's this. I'm going to have a think about that one. So just to make sure that you, that I've got this correctly, you're saying that when you look at the sunrise, you'd expect it, because of where you are, to rise relatively to the north of you. But in fact, you're seeing it rise to the south of you in the east. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah. Mm. This is in summertime?
0: Uh, in summertime, yes.
1: I'm just trying to think why why you think it wouldn't do that because... The remember the inclination of the Earth is twenty three and a half degrees, and so as the sun comes up, the sun if the if the Earth when you're in your summer time, then the southern hemisphere that inclination means the southern hemisphere is tilted sunwards a bit. 23 and a half degrees. So the sun is going to rise, right. it's going to be on the horizon, it's going to come up from the east, but it is, it is going to describe an arc across the sky because of the inclination of the earth. So I I think that actually works, but I'll check it. If, any, if I've got that wrong, if my interpretation's wrong, can someone please let me know? But it, I think that's what you would expect to see because because of the inclination of the earth, you would expect it to come up from the southeast, go overhead and then go down again. But, but you know, if I'll, I'll take that away as homework, but if anyone can think of a better explanation... Please tell me, but I think that sounds about right. That's what you should see.
0: Well, Gavin, thanks for that. Chris will be doing the homework, and of course he is back next week to give the answer to that. When we return, Paul and Devon have questions. You're listening to Today. I'm Kino Cummins with you all the way through until midday, and my sidekick, Dr. Chris Smith, the naked scientist.
1: Monday, Monday to Friday. Friday, 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. This is Today
0: with Kino Cummins on Cape Talk. Uh, we will go a Paul in Durbanville, as I mentioned, then Jessica, and then Devon. Hi, Paul. Hi, Kia. Hi, uh, Doctor. Hi. Um, okay, my simple question is, will perpetual motion ever be achievable on Earth?
1: <laughs> Hi, Paul. Um... From what I can gather, the only perpetual motion is people perpetually coming up with this question. No, I'm, I'm only kidding. Just <laughs> ribbing you. Uh, the answer is, in physics, there is no such thing as a free lunch, I'm afraid. Perpetual motion means something keeps happening, powered by some mysterious energy supply and it goes on indefinitely and we know that that just can't happen it violates what we call the second law of thermodynamics the universe is continuously expanding moving to a state of disorder and chaos and the price that we pay for that chaos or all that chaos returns us the ability to extract some useful energy from the system as that chaos ensues so if you think about it if you've got fuel in your in your fuel tank in your car that's a lot of something in one space, organised into a fuel in one place. When you burn the fuel, goes through the engine, then it comes out of the exhaust pipe as gas molecules, which are very spread out, chaotic, going all over the place. So you've gone from something compact, small and ordered into something of enormous disorder. Big increase in what we call entropy and the useful thing you've extracted from that is some work that makes your car go along in the process. Perpetual motion would mean that in some way we had some way of, of keeping a process going providing us with energy and not in some way generating that disorder in the process. And it just doesn't happen, I'm afraid. People have searched. They, they have failed. So, no, I don't think because of what we understand so far about thermodynamics and physics that it will be possible.
0: Chris, thank you very much for that. We go to Jessica in Somerset West. Hi.
1: Hi there. I know that sounds really strange, but since I've been a young child, I cannot go out initially into the sunlight without it making me sneeze. <laughs> Wow! I always, um, And also if I'm driving and the sun's really sh- shining really brightly in my eyes, I, it always makes me sneeze. Same here, Jessica. Why? Yeah. We've both got the photic sneeze reflex. And we're in good company because about 20% of people have photic sneeze reflex. It seems to run in families. So it seems to have some kind of genetic underpinning. Scientists don't know exactly why it happens. Originally, the theory was, and, and the US Air Force spent some time investigating this because they were very concerned that if a pilot was flying into the sun and then suddenly developed a, a sneezing fit at uh, 1,000 kilometres an hour, this, this could be quite destructive and disruptive. But the evidence is, originally we thought... Was it that the bright light makes your eyes water and that the watering eyes then increase the amount of tears flowing down into your nose? They irritate the inside of the nose and that triggers the sneezing. But when people measured the latency, how quickly you sneeze in response to a bright light, they found that that can't be the case. So the currently understood theory or explanation for this is that bright light causes your pupil to close up. That's called constriction. If you shine a light in someone's eyes, the pupil goes from big to small to cut down the light going into the eye to keep the amount of brightness that you're seeing about right. The circuitry that's involved in detecting and responding to that input of light is right next door to the part in the brainstem that controls breathing and breathing and breathing reflexes like sneezing. So in some people, perhaps there's a bit of cross-wiring, we think, whereby when you activate the intense pupil constriction stimulus in that circuit, it spills over into the adjacent sneezing circuit and makes it more likely that you'll want to sneeze. And in fact, if you know you've got this, you can use it to good effect, maybe you do this, Jessica, because if you want to sneeze, and you have one of those horrible moments when you think, I really need to sneeze right now, and I can't make it happen, and it's so frustrating, go and look at a bright light, or go outside, hey presto, instant sneeze, and you feel much better. Uh, so yes, that's what, you've got photic sneeze reflex, and, and you're in good company, about one in five of us have it.
0: Thank you, Chris, and we move on to Devon. Hi, Devon. Morning, Kino. Morning, Chris. Morning, sir. Um, hi there. I have a question about ice. Uh, more specifically, the ice in my refrigerator or freezer compartment of, the of, of my refrigerator and the ice that I make to put in my drinks. I have several ice trays in my freezer, right? And you know, Chris, when you twist the ice tray, the plastic ice trays to, to free the ice, to loosen it up so you can get the cubes out, for majority of the ice trays, that works fine. But for some of them, the ice... Breaks and you can't get solid blocks out, it turns to shards, um, little pieces of ice, which annoys me no end because that doesn't work too well with my drink. (laughs) I'm just curious to find out what the difference is. It's the same water I'm using, Uh, it's the same freezing process in the same uh, freezer. Why do some of them come out in solid cubes and others break up
1: into shores? Uh, first thing is, the thing- boil the water before you make the ice cubes. Boil it and cool it, obviously, because that will remove some of the dissolved gas and some, some of the other bits and pieces and rubbish that's in there, the hardness. And that means you'll get a nicer ice crystal. If you're making ice crystals and you notice they're all crazed, they're crazed because bubbles are formed as the ice is formed and the bubbles were gas dissolved in the water and also other impurities. And those uh, bits are a weak point. So you can automatically strengthen your ice cubes by boiling the water and freezing boiled water and you'll get nice clear ice cubes and they're they're much better crystals so they'll be stronger. I think the reason that they shatter in some cases is to make something break you have to be applying a force to it so when you're turning out your ice cubes some of your ice cube trays presumably are deforming in such a way that they are not applying a a sheer force across the ice cube but other other ice cube trays you've got if it's the same ice cube tray that does it time and time again i would suspect that it's something about the, the the nature of the way that's been built that when you twist it or bend it to deform it and push out the ice cubes it is shearing across the cube and if you've got those weak points in the cube already because of the impurities and the bubbles that are in there they're more likely to smash up i i suspect that's what's going on what i think it would be wonderful if you did the experiment make some ice cubes with pre-bulb water so you get nice pure crystals of ice they'll be stronger Let's see if they'll survive the turnout process, and also just check that it's always the same ice cube tray that is doing this, uh, and then we'll know that it's, that it's the ice cube tray we have to condemn that's ruining your gin and tonic.
0: Oh yeah. Oh, okay. Thanks for letting me know. Although
1: <laughs> my liver told me to behave.
0: Um, let's go to Ron in Kirstenoff. Hi, Ron.
1: Hello, Chris. Um, just a quick question. Um, I'm aware of the fact that um, bananas placed in close proximity. To avocado pears hastens the, the ripening process. And I believe this is a proven fact, and, and i proved it. Is there any evidence to suggest that um, uh, p- placing bananas near other fruit, like peaches and pears, will hasten the ripening process? It's perfectly possible, yes. And the reason is, and we understand this quite well now, plants talk to each other. They send chemical signals between plants for a number of reasons. One of them is that if something comes along and eats you and you release various chemicals, you can warn your mates that uh, they should anticipate damage and that they may need to turn on various signals to help themselves uh, repair themselves, grow more, repair the damage, or in the case of fruiting things, ripen up quick so that they can then spread their seeds around. The chemical signal that does this is ethene or ethylene, the same stuff we make polyethylene from. And when you've got a banana there, it's a very rich source of ethene. And if you put it next to other fruits and things that are sensitive to ethene, it will ripen them up. This includes avocados, tomatoes follow the same rule as well. So yes, this is a fact, it's chemically understood, and it's the plants talking to each other through the medium of the chemical ethene, to which they are very sensitive, and it's a growth trigger in some plants
0: and that's all we have time for ron thank you very much lynn what we'll do is next week i'm going to make you the first caller into the show uh, because we have run out of time with dr christmas we should maybe just do like a three-hour show
1: chris just a well, two well a you know it's, it's always the way isn't it when um you you kind of get a big rush towards the end and everyone everyone piles in with one minute to go but that's good because we, we always have something to talk about next week but i've got some homework <laughs> to take away with me i'm going to find out about metallic taste in mouth from touch and I'm going to look into the Sunrise. And if anyone can help me out with either of those, do get in touch in the meantime to chris at scientist.com or we're on Twitter at Naked I'd, I'd love your help and input, please. And any other questions for next time?
0: Absolutely. Chris, have a wonderful weekend. And you,
1: bye, everybody.